How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to It's Become a Whole Thing, a podcast that takes a highbrow look at the lowbrow trash we love. I'm your host, Emily Rose, and each week we'll tap into the cultural zeitgeist by looking at the best and worst moments of TV history. Because here, we contain multitudes and read between the lines. Join me. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the It's Become a Whole Thing podcast. I'm your host, Emily Rose, and we're here to recap the best and worst of TV and film history. And first, I need to know. How are you? How you doing? How you really doing? What's your day like? Um, I'm thinking about you. You is anyone listening. I am thinking of each and every one of you guys listening, and uh, I'm feeling a special amount of love for you guys, which is if you might be wondering um if you're a regular listener how is that possible because i dote on you guys a kind of a creepy amount but last week was launch week for my book or publication week i don't know the book came out and just hearing your guys feedback and getting an entry from one of you guys in the journal like it was just i don't know it just warmed my heart warmed my cold dead heart it was so nice and so lovely um yeah, I was just so appreciative. And yeah, so this week, I'm really, I don't know if excited is the right word for this episode. I'm really proud of this episode. It's so important, um, but it's heavy. So I'm giving you guys that as a warning right off the bat. The documentary that we're covering is Pretty Baby, which is all about the life of Brooke Shields. And she was someone that I didn't really know too much about before the documentary, but her life and her early career as a child actor is shocking. Um, If you know anything about like Drew Barrymore's childhood, it's not so different. Pretty Baby, the name of the documentary is 
named after her first big film where at 11 years old she played a child prostitute so um so you can kind of imagine the trajectory that her life took living that life in the 80s and she's so smart and witty and reflects on it in such an interesting way but it's very heavy themes very very heavy so just be warned of that there's also an accompanying episode on patreon that's a deep dive into the life and times of drew barrymore they kind of go hand in hand and in this episode we talk a lot about their relationship towards the end uh their friendship and how they're able to connect on their very unique yet similar stories so if you want to check that out that's patreon.com slash it's become a whole thing um if you want to purchase the journal the stuff i hate journal book of journal prompts all about venting you can buy that i think most places where books are sold like most major retailers like um amazon i saw it on the walmart website that was that was wild uh yeah it's out there so you know what we're just gonna get right into it so without further ado let's get into today's episode okay and we're back with sammy p in the studio. Hello, Sammy. Thank you for having me today, Emily. It's a pleasure to see you again. <laughs> Does me saying welcome to the studio make it like feel all official and make it get kind of serious? Yeah, I feel like an honored guest. I'm just kind of in my like old school late night show vibes since watching the doc, like seeing all those clips of like Johnny Carson and stuff. I was like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, <All the> kids. <laughs> Hi. Yeah, it's very that. It's an honor to be here, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And the women are so like demure and the men have their little canned bits. Yeah. Speaking of demure, actually, that just reminded me um, that when, when I was in New York with the podcast girlies, I ordered at a restaurant at the bus stop restaurant for any of my Kalers out there. But um, Christy from... I you at the bus stop, I didn't though. I had yeah. to throw in the reference because not everyone will know. Well, I said it's for the girls who know. I mean, <laughs> okay, well, I try to be inclusive. I thought I saw you at the bus stop, I didn't know. See, we, you know, yeah. That's where we went. We went to the bus stop. But I ordered food and Christy from X Knows All, like fell on the floor laughing she thought it was the funniest thing she'd ever heard she was like your persona just switched you got so demure and polite and you had this different voice and you were putting in all these pleases and thank yous i'm like yeah bitch (laughs) that's how we do it in canada it's called manners like so (laughs) she could not believe it it was truly the funniest (laughs) thing she'd ever heard i'm like i get that that sounds funny to you but what sounds funny to me is you guys going i want fries (laughs) Like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're supposed to say thank you when they bring the forks, when they bring the side plates, when they swing by and ask, is everything OK? Like all of it, please. And thank you. And like and you apologize for existing in between. Yes. And throughout. Oh, my God. Of course. If you leave like a little bit of a mess on the table, you're like, I'm so sorry. You like stack all the dishes and like pile everything up nice before you leave. Like, come yeah. on. Yeah, God forbid they forget to bring out like your cutlery and drinks. You're like, it's like, I'm so, so sorry. So, so sorry. Would you mind if it wouldn't be too much trouble just bringing out a little fork, maybe a spoon? Yeah. 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 Gosh. I mean, and in like New York, I mean, they must be making like what, three bucks an hour? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Hey, got to pay the rent somehow. Uh, Yeah. Um, How are you, by the way? (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm good. <laughs> what? I don't know. I don't know why that made me laugh. I Are guess, we okay like, today? I just feel like I'm doing so bad like, that it's like comical to even like think about like because I'm like on the verge of a mental breakdown every day. But it's just like, whatever, I'm fine. Like, I guess. I'm, how's anyone? I don't know. I don't know. I'm still putting a call out for people that are mentally well. I genuinely want to hear from them. Instagram at it's become a whole thing. Let me know. I want hope. I want to have hope. Oh, oh, I would love to have hope. I'll tell you one way that I'm doing well, which is that I'm having a really out of touch influencer style problem. So that's making me feel successful. Um, Great. Yeah. So um As you all know, I'm going to Mexico, or when this airs, I will be in Mexico for a wedding. And the FabFitFun customization opens up right after I take off. Not you. It's another FabFitFun problem on (laughs) You and the customer service at FabFitFun have literally such a long, complex relationship. Yeah, actually, yeah. (laughs) I'm not being paid. In fact, the opposite. I've scammed them so many times that I'm surprised, like, they haven't banned me. But I have come back with, like, different emails, so. (laughs) Yeah. You've given them a lot of money. You've gotten some free products. It's a real up and down give and take. Yeah, I'm always complaining to them. (laughs) I'm on their care and watch list um, and, <laughs> oh, yeah. I, and I've tried to unsubscribe, but then I just I can't quit. I always go back. Same. It's so pathetic to like unsubscribe and be like, well, this is obviously just like one of those things that should come right off the list when I'm budgeting and then to yeah. fucking resubscribe within like three weeks. <laughs> yeah, I don't need any more tchotchkes, but I, I can't. No, I don't need any more goo for my hair, but I do. <laughs> I do. I know. And then like as soon as I unsubscribe, it's like every ad on Instagram becomes about FabFitFun. Um, but also, you know, with customization, like these bitches are cutthroat. Yeah, you have to be on it. If you don't immediately customize as soon as it opens up, you know, your box is going to be filled with some like ugly pearl jewelry and like, a, you know, schmata. Yeah. So anyway, that's um, an unrelatable problem that I'm dealing with. So that makes me feel like, hey, like I'm like a real influencer now. Um, You'll have to do it in Mexico. You'll have internet. No, I'm saying like the airplane takes off. At- oh, yeah. You'll be a few hours late. Yeah, that's the problem. Well, also, some airplanes now have Wi-Fi. <laughs> I had Wi-Fi on Southwest. That's taking it a step too far, paying for Wi-Fi. So I can no, no, it's free. Inbox. It's free. It's free. Um, For email and iMessage, it's free. And then you have to pay if you want to, like, stream movies or something. But actually, okay. they let you stream within the app. Um, God, we really need to stop doing ads. Wow. <laughs> free ads. Wow. <laughs> or Or maybe we're like we're hooking them in hey guys do you want to sponsor us what i said about scamming you actually wasn't true i was just joking um you can sponsor me anytime yeah uh okay so should we take a sharp pivot uh over to the topic at hand um guys i'm gonna do a big content warning for basically this whole episode it has every type of content warning mature themes abuse um essay all of that stuff just please be warned i'm just gonna give that as a blanket statement for the episode um we're gonna be talking about pretty baby the brooke shields documentary that we watched it's out now um it came out earlier this month and i just want to say before we get into it before you watched what was your relationship to brooke shields um i kind of knew brooke because of 
the sitcoms she was on in the 90s my parents watched suddenly susan and i saw her on friends and then in recent years i saw her on jane the virgin she had a fun cameo role um so yeah i kind of knew her i didn't watch any of her like old sexy baby uh movies but i knew her as like a model in magazines and then her sitcom era and i related to her because we have very similar astrology charts so she she's my birthday twin i was gonna bring that up that you guys she's a gemini sun and moon and a virgo rising yeah and a gemini venus so we have the same sun rising and venus sign and the same birthday and so i've just always been like oh my girl you know yeah you're both professional superstar models (laughs) we both have the face of the 80s as people have said (laughs) both got that quick gemini wit yeah absolutely yeah I actually hadn't remembered any specific roles like as we were watching the documentary, it was coming back to me. But for me, she was just kind of a general face in the crowd of celebrities. Like it's like they said in the documentary, there used to be 10 famous people and we'd all see the same five movies every year. So she was just one of those people. She was everywhere. Um, And yeah, actually, it's funny because I'll just say this now. I loved the documentary so much. It was one of the best ones I've watched in a while. And I was also like, I love Brooke Shields now so much. And that's when mm-hmm. I looked up her astrology chart. I'm like, what is up with her? And then I was like, oh, my God, it's Sammy P. But yeah, a 1980s model. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was like um, so interested in her description of being like, no, I actually am smart and I actually am a nerd. And like, God, curse this beautiful face for like <laughs> pigeonholing me into something when that's actually not me and like I'm a silly Billy (laughs) you're like I I know you face such similar issues that it's like (laughs) people just could look past the face um yeah (laughs) no but um I'll, I'll talk about this a bit later but my new official um dream blunt rotation is just like her and Drew Barrymore just having a heart to heart and like I'm there but it's like not weird like they've included me and they're just like you know, having a moment. Well, I imagine it like we're all snuggled up in a hotel bed together and like my head is in between their two shoulders and they just love me <laughs> and we just cuddle together and talk. Totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's get into it. So as much as I love the documentary, it was it was a really hard watch, but it was really well done and very important watch, I think, for just pop culture lovers and people in a society uh it was directed by lana wilson who also directed the taylor swift miss americana documentary so that was interesting oh. yeah i yeah, mean yeah definitely and not surprising because it was just well done but yeah so the themes of this are themes that are always at the top of our mind just about beauty standards and predators and cycles of abuse that get perpetuated by Hollywood. Um, I mean, it reminded me of actually the second podcast episode we ever put out, like all about beauty standards and the Instagram face. And I think everything that that was discussed is just as relevant today as it was back then. Absolutely. Like, even though she was working in a more Wild West time for like child modeling and child acting, it still is really bad. It's just less flagrant, but she like gets to epitomize or not gets to, but like has to epitomize like those most shocking, like in your face, like 
moments that now people kind of try to hide. Like you wouldn't really hear a 60 year old man being like, she's got a perfect body about like an 11 year old, you know, anymore, but they still think it. They still think it and they still push the themes. They just have to be a bit more covert about it. Yes. Yeah. So Brooke Shields is 57. Um, and we get into right away in the documentary, she introduces her mother and it's very important because she's such a key player to her life, which sounds silly to say because, you know, everyone's parents are key to their story, but her mother plays a unusual role in, in every sense. Um, like, I thought it was interesting that as she was introducing her mom and and the way she talked about her throughout the documentary, it was, I would say, with a pretty loving edit, but like, yeah, it was heavy. You know, she said, my mom had this creature that everyone responded to. Um, and you kind of, you get a picture already by her saying, you know, she divorced her dad without telling him and <laughs> took all her stuff and left. And it was very unusual for women at the time yeah it sounds like being a, a single mom in the 60s was fuck even harder than it is today <laughs> like, yeah really rough yeah so right away she introduces her mother and then talks about society's beauty standards like these are the two through lines of the documentary but she talks about how up until the time where she was coming onto the scene it was all about the voluptuous female bodies like your Marilyn Monroe kind of siren archetype and then there was the women's liberation movement yeah second wave feminism yeah um yeah this is one of the most interesting points that is made by some of the like authors and thinkers that they interview in this documentary when they like directly correlate like there was the womanly bombshell of the 50s and 60s and then as a direct response like a backlash by men towards second wave feminism and Roe v. Wade happening in the 70s, they're like, oh, okay, well, if women don't want to be like submissive and dependent as we want them to be, we're going to basically turn to little kids. Like, yes. Naming like, that as the like rise in, and they use like the Love's Baby Soft perfume ad as an example. And it's not Brooke in that ad, but it could be. Like, it looks just like her. It's a little baby, like all made up. And like, it says like soft and sexy. And it's like, it's so weird. It's like a nine-year-old girl or something like made up in like, I, I don't want to say like whorish makeup, but like, you know, but, but like is... dra drag makeup, like not. Yeah. Like drag yeah. makeup, she's, like an she, old school. She's painted for the back row. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like there's just something about the like way that they do Brooks makeup in those creepy photos that we'll talk about later where it's like smeared blue eyeliner, red, red, rosy cheeks. And then like, ultra glossy lip it's like jesus like this is a shockingly heavy look <laughs> for any woman the fact that yeah. you're putting this on a nine-year-old is just yikes this was, this was no quote clean girl aesthetic <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> no it wasn't i know i thought that was so interesting right off the bat they were like okay women's liberation movement women were taking themselves out of the equation they were like fine we'll replace you with children yeah and we see some really disturbing photos of brooke at age like eight to 11 modeling and like you just kind of see the shift like they're like at first it was like you know she's in pigtails and like jeans and a t-shirt and then it just kind of shifted like slowly and then you see like you know she's half undressed and she's like and it's all about the way that it's posed the way that the camera is the makeup the clothes like it's all just it's nothing to do with her 
It's just you're seeing through the creepy eyes of the like men on the set. I know so much of this was so difficult to watch because just looking at these photos, it feels so voyeuristic and and wrong. Oh, yeah. And right away, uh, we have Barbara Walters, our girl, (laughs) with her beautiful Vaseline filter asking Brooke and her mother sitting right there, like, aren't you exploiting the sensuality of, of a child? And we see throughout the documentary, Brooke keeps getting asked all these very serious questions and seeing her have to sit there with her little transatlantic accent and so poised and just so innocent trying trying to field these big questions was really hard to watch. And you could just see her mom sitting there with her in every interview, like ruling with an iron fist. There was so much going on in these interview clips. Like we're seeing her getting like peppered by questions that are like, rude and not like compassionate to a child by all these hosts and I hate watching that and then like her mom's there but she's not quite protecting her and then her mom gets like some super sexist comments said to her as well and it's just like tough to watch these old clips god they were just talking crazy to them like yeah they really could just do whatever they wanted with these kids on set and like you know the first example we get of that is that she talks about how on set, they would put a rope around her waist so they could just tether her at the perfect distance from the camera and she'd have rope burns on her stomach. So like you, a leash kid in a <laughs> little different circumstances, but, you know, another way that you guys basically are twins. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Like, it's funny because we're so not twins. Like, obviously, like <laughs> she had this experience of growing up as like the most beautiful person child teen in the room always and how like she always like rejected that like you hear her one of the first things she says is like listen this was the face I was born with I haven't done a goddamn thing to like deserve this or earn this so I tried not to even look in the mirror like as a child I never looked in the mirror because I just wanted to focus on things that I could control and like self-development and like forming a personality and and having a career and doing things and it's like she's just so eerily wise beyond her years and like she always answers so well to these questions that are impossible it's like well I heard you were uncomfortable on set and like do you think your mom is a alcoholic stage bitch mother (laughs) yeah it's really uh her intelligence combined with the parentification she had to go through that makes her just so mature and you know they don't mention this in the documentary but when her mother was pregnant with her uh her family actually offered her a sum of money to terminate the pregnancy and the mom agreed and took the money and then didn't go through with it. And I just thought it's interesting how it sets a bit of almost this precedent of money being exchanged, this very transactional relationship. There was always Brooke, the product. She had a value. Yeah. Yes. Yes. She was a moneymaker for her mom. She was the breadwinner. She bought the mom the car, the house, yep. everything. Yeah. And she said right off the bat, her mom wasn't the typical stage mom who wasn't like, go get out there. You know, she was more stern, but in a way, just calm, quiet faith and everything. She said she just always had faith that it would all work out. So manifestation queen. Um, <laughs> she totally was like a manifestation girly, the mom. She kind of was. Um, but I'm just going to say she she took her as a young child to all these avant-garde artistic films with all this nudity in it. And I think that that was her way of grooming her into taking these roles. OK, yeah. Well, that's a hot take. I mean, well, first of all, 
she never had a chance of having an appropriate childhood because she was in commercials since she was a literal infant. Like she was the ivory baby. Like it's just so weird to take your infant to auditions. (laughs) Well, it's weird to take your infant to auditions, but you're getting paid for that. But I'm just thinking like she talked about this one French film where it was like, you know, we see a clip of this woman putting her bare breasts in this man's mouth. And she's like, yeah, eight years old, I'd be taken to all these, these classic artsy films. And I'm like, yeah, that's not normal. I mean, nothing's normal, but usually you don't take a child on purpose to a movie like that. I get it, but it was such a different time. Like, and I'm not saying that like that it was in any way that excuses it, but it was just very normalized. Like it was like Drew Barrymore's childhood going to the club at age five. Like, yeah, it was like, you know what? This is a sexual revolution. Like children can be exposed to like love and sex and bodies are beautiful and like drugs are cool. And like, let's just be free. And then like only in the like, late 70s were people getting like oh fuck okay we like went way too far in that direction and like it turned into weird cults and then kids are super traumatized from like what they were exposed to and like but at the time they were thinking this is good to expose a child to adult things early so it becomes like normalized and not a big deal yeah definitely um yeah and so very early on even before her big movie role she was having articles written about her at nine years old with the title world's youngest sex symbol question mark so yeah it was a different it was a different (laughs) time you could do that i had to pause because they were going through all these different headlines i had to pause and rewind a couple times i was like did i read that right but yeah yeah world's youngest sex symbol which sets her up for her big role which is mind-blowing her role in the movie pretty baby Yeah. French director. She's 11 years old. She's portraying a child prostitute just as Jodie Foster did in in Taxi Driver, like around the same time. Like it was just like, this is a great gritty role for a young actress. Yes. And in it, like we see this clip where there's this fancy dinner table and they bring her out on a platter and everyone's bidding on her. On her virginity. On her virginity. Um, and they cut to another scene where she has to kiss this man who's like her, I don't know, caretaker slash keeper. Um, and yeah, he's like in his 30s. And it's so like the plot of the movie, it's starring Susan Sarandon as her mother, but she offers her up basically to this man, to this male photographer. And it's like pretty parallel to her life, the way that her mother just kind of offered her up for these yeah. roles. And she had to kiss these male actors. Um, there were some. She had two full frontal nude scenes. She yes. says yes, and there were some people that argued it was a critique of the sexualization of children in 1970s Hollywood. <laughs> and like, like if you're going to critique it, you're going to have to make that really clear. That's I don't I don't buy that of the film. Oh no, of course, and and I mean we know now that you could portray something like that without showing a child's body like nude like have you ever heard of like shooting from the back like you know the shoulders up like it's it's just for the critique of the sexualization like something bad should happen to the people exploiting them you know something that indicates yeah wrong or we show them as the like leering creeps they are and like yeah it didn't really like the hero of the film was like this guy who like 
had this pseudo sexual relationship with her. It's it's like he and he's a man and she's a child. Like it obviously would never be made today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And okay, I know we talked about her being mature for her age, but in all these interviews about it, where people are asking if it was appropriate or uncomfortable, she kept saying, "No, I knew it would be in good taste," and that is so obviously coached. Like, I, no, eleven-year-olds don't think like that. I don't know. I mean, yes, of course. She says, like, I believed whatever I was told. People said, don't worry. This movie will be in good taste. It won't be like a porn. She just is like, great. This movie will be in good taste. It won't be like a porn. Um, but she also had, yeah, she had seen a bunch of French nudie films already. It was like, I wouldn't mind making one of those. Like, to her and her mom, like, they never flinched at the subject matter of the movie. And yeah. I think it was more her experiences on set that then, like, she was kind of like, okay, now I'm feeling like a sick feeling in my stomach a bit about some yeah. of this. And you want to know what's fucked up? This is not in the doc, but when she was 11, when she filmed Pretty Baby, that same year, she also worked with Woody Allen and shot some films for Annie Hall, but they were cut out of the final scene. I was like, Jesus, like she was just fed to the wolves. Yeah, she was put in that like Lolita role and like was like the go-to <laughs> sexy child in, in like, the yeah. creepy amount of things that were being made with that plot line. <laughs> yeah, she's the pretty baby. And it sparked a huge conversation about whether she was being pimped out, whether she was being exploited by her mother. Um, we see, you know, the inappropriate questions that you reference. Like, do you agree with the statement that your mom's a shriveled up, dry skin, <laughs> sunken face alcoholic? <laughs> I know my jaw was on the floor to see a man ask that to a child and the child's mother right to their faces and be like, here's a quote. Um, your mother's a broad faced, broad, open faced woman with manners to match. Whose <laughs> face bears the marks of a heavy drinker, sunken eyes, used up look, dry skin. <laughs> like, I know. Like, she's oh like, my God. And he, she's like, well, so do you think that's fair? She's like, no, I, I don't think that's fair at all because. My mom, you know, she just she has some allergies and she says what she feels. And and I just I love her. <laughs> I know. Like, like, how are you putting this baby in the position where she has to defend her mother against like this disgusting statement, like read to her face to humiliate her? It was horrible. Yeah. And there's some documentaries where their strength is they let the audience fill in their interpretations themselves. But I like how they really bring up a lot of great points. They bring up the themes and present them to you throughout it. And while this is happening, they're talking about how this interrogation of her mother, like while it was fucked up what her mother did, it obscured the bigger conversation about the male director being celebrated and why there was an audience for this in the first place. But it was all on the mother. Yeah, exactly. It takes hundreds of people to make a movie and yet it's only the mother of the actress that's being held to account and shamed. Yeah. And they love to shame her and be like, you're a bad mom. I heard you're a big drinker. You look ugly and you're pimped to your child, like just castigating her. Yeah. The original most famous momager. And yeah. she was an alcoholic. I mean, she did well, yeah. have her issues. Brooke said the only thing she really put her foot down and defended her for was the 16 plus hour work days but she didn't flinch for anything else yeah like you said brooke is really generous and kind and loving to her mother in this like she's like yeah she had her faults and she was she was an alcoholic she put me through hell but 
she loved me and she supported me and like we were all each other had for so much of my life. So I, I, it was kind of sweet. I wasn't expecting that. Like I was really expecting this to be like really, really critical towards her mom, but it, it was, I thought very loving. It was very generous. And I thought it was interesting. Did you watch her on the Drew Barrymore show? Yes. Because on the Drew Barrymore show, she was a lot more critical of her mother. Yeah. She was more like, casual in tone and being like yeah my mom was obsessed with me she like kind of was dating me in a weird way like you know yeah not sexually but just kind of like let's both be non-sexual and just both be together forever yeah yeah and I mean and Drew Barrymore appears in the documentary in Pretty Baby because of how many things they have in common um and but they give a different perspective when she comes on the show, I think, because it's just so intimate. Like, as soon as she steps out on stage, Drew Barrymore's in tears before they've even hugged. And they're just wrapped around each other, just staring at each other's eyes. Like, yeah. it felt more personal than sitting in on a therapy session. But I was not mad at it. Oh, no, we love we love how Drew's interview style and like and I loved her her comments in the documentary. Like, I love when she's like, you know, when you're a model and when you're an actor and you're kissing people, you don't want to kiss you. You push down your own boundaries. And yeah. then when you're famous, you have to eliminate boundaries because everyone wants a piece of you and everyone's coming up to you. And like how that yeah. like slowly eroded both of their boundaries. And they both ended up doing stuff that when they look back, they're like, that wasn't right. Oh, yeah. And I love how everyone else in the documentary was being interviewed seemed like just a normal documentary interview. But <laughs> Drew Barrymore's like cross-legged on her stool, like leaning way forward with a little messy bun. And I, like I just love how she makes everything into comfy, cozy conversation. Yeah. I know. Pisces Queen. Yeah. Pisces Queen. We've got an accompanying deep dive uh about her life on the Patreon this week. But yeah. Her and Brooke, my queens. Um, yeah. Let me know if you guys want to hang out. I would like to be friends with both of you. Um <laughs> I would like to hang out socially with both of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> to, to quote katie perry stalker um uh, okay so <laughs> i'm obsessed because that's me that is really is I, I know i know it's so relatable it's uh, uh, gonna be a no for me okay well would you ever want to hang out socially <laughs> that is my energy <laughs> that i bring forth Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So... Brooke talks about how like because her mom was so irresponsible and such an alcoholic and everything that the movie set was such a safe place for her where she was just only responsible for herself and it was like happy and contained. It's so similar to Lindsay Lohan. Yeah. Lindsay Lohan yeah. has said the same thing many times. I know. Same with Drew Barrymore. She's like, I saw movie sets as a family, as a stable family where there's someone in charge. You always get fed. You always go to bed in a safe place like it's sad i know and it's especially sad because uh, the her safe plays are things like her next big blockbuster blue lagoon where she's 15 years old naked on screen doing sex scenes and yeah and that the marketing for the film was based around like her real life sexual awakening that's what they were saying while pushing the film yeah like you'll get to watch that along with it and you know it's I haven't seen it, but the clips like look very beautiful, very artsy. It's just like, you know, they're just like Adam and Eve naked in paradise. Like it's, it seems kind of innocent and kind of reminds me of like Moonrise Kingdom, which is like a Wes Anderson movie that's recent where there's like little kids kissing and stuff. And I was kind of like, ah, and they might have even been nude in that. I don't remember. But it's like you can see how it's innocent, but then it's being consumed by the world by like so well, many horny yeah moonrise kingdom had a much more appropriate tone because you can tell a story of like teens falling in love without it being like all right nips out like <laughs> you know yeah. like yeah it's tricky subject matter to be dealing with at all and the fact that it was like an all-male set like you know all-male directors creative like camera like there was no like female gaze incorporated it was just like look at this beautiful teenager <laughs> i know and then they're like interviewing all these teen girls for it and i'm like of course they liked it they're like yeah there's something about it i saw it four times in theaters like yeah of course the horny teens are gonna enjoy this film yeah. but like it's the horny 50 year old men that are enjoying it too that like that's the issue yeah because then she becomes a sex object in their minds and then and she just has to deal with this like extremely creepy energy around her all the time that follows her and into horrible situations like court cases and sexual assault that we hear about later. But like, well, yeah, so that exactly. She's already on the up and up, but Blue Lagoon catapults her. And then, yeah, she becomes a full fledged sex symbol as a teen. Like yeah. she's 15 or 16 and she's in these Calvin Klein ads where she's talking about how she's no longer a kid, but then she's sucking her thumb and she's twisting. Oh my her god! Okay, the Calvin Klein ads for me were the first. Like, okay, I think all of it's inappropriate, but that was like for me. I was like, this is indefensible. This is pornographic. This is pedophilic. This is disgusting. Like, yeah. it is in no way a fashion cool moment. Whatever. Like, she slays no matter what. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can't believe the shit they were making her say and do. Like, oh. yeah, that being like, and then I became a woman. And I put away childish things. And then she puts her thumb in her mouth and starts sucking. I was like, no way. No way they have her sucking her thumb. And, like, they've got the camera just panning up her body. as she's, like, pulling her pants up and, like, 
flipping over and turning around and then in one of them it just like she has her legs spread and it's just like zooming over her crotch and she's yeah like, i know it was horrifying you know like, what comes between me and my calvins nothing i know and you're <laughs> oh like God. you're not exaggerating that's what they made her do and even at the time people were like whoa that's a bit much like those ads did get banned in some places but sales shot up astronomically everyone had to have those jeans like it was a huge huge campaign and it seemed like the controversy only made the ads more popular yeah like their sales shot up 300 percent. like anyone would die for those kind of sales off of one campaign but and like her billboards were incredible like she's a great poser she's a great model like all that but like the commercials were reminding me of those perverted scenes in the Nickelodeon shows that like Dan Schneider yes. produced. Oh my God, so true. So true. Dan Schneider and his foot fetish that he made all those little kids act out all those weird scenes. If you guys if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, like, I don't know, look it up on TikTok. This was the type of documentary that doing research for it, I was even scared to put certain things into. I know. It, like, I was like, trying to research specific things that happened but i didn't want to be like like nine-year-old nude like I know. you know what i mean I like know. i was like what the, how do i same like google like autocomplete like stopped working it was just like we're not gonna help you commit this crime i know I they're like, like people are on their way to your house right now i was like what the like i'm just <laughs> i am trying to gather some data on like the you know timeline of everything which actually okay so that is the next thing that i want to discuss is like this big controversy of these photos of her that were taken so after the calvin klein at like basically it was part of this huge huge astronomical rise she was the times magazine face of the 80s they called her face of the whole decade um at 14 she was the youngest person to be on the cover of vogue um she was just she was everywhere and it seemed like her security guard was the only person who was like, we need to protect this girl. Yeah. Bless mm -hmm. him. But what happened was things somehow got worse. After seeing the clips from Pretty Baby, I thought there's no way things could go worse, but they really did. And she gets exploited. So back when she was nine years old, she had photos nude photos taken by a quote-unquote she calls him a family friend gary gross who's this man who he published them in a playboy publication that was called sugar and spice and the mom was paid 450 dollars at the time and so fast forward now she's 16 years old and this photographer wants to sell them to make money he's like oh well you know I have the right to these photos and she's a big star so i'm gonna sell them all over again only then did her mom sue this photographer um yeah to try and block the public release of these photos yeah okay well, well let's walk through the court case first yeah so the photographer wanted to sell them the mom <laughs> steps in to sue him but this wasn't the mom being like oh my god there's nude photos of my child daughter she was just like hey you can't sell those and make a profit like <laughs> well she didn't want people to see them like their whole case was like this will damage brooke's reputation we don't want the world seeing these like she well, was trying to prevent them from more exposure. I know she already mm, did let them go in a, a pedophile magazine and I'm not trying to I, defend her for that. I, like. I have a different interpretation, which is that she was fine with signing her up for the job at the time. And she was like, no one's going to make money off my daughter but me. That was how I interpreted okay. it. And she was saying like, oh, I don't want people to see them. I'm like, well, then you were fine with this before you took the money before. 
I know she really needed that 450 bucks. I just, my, my take on it was the mom was like, no one's going to profit except for like, I'm going to get the rights to this, you know, and, but saying it under this guy's immorality. Um, so the mom sued Brooke Shields at 16 was put on the stand for two days straight, asked questions like, you like being sexy, don't you? And she's like, I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, she's so- like, not really. Like, it, and just over and over asked, like, aren't you a sex symbol? Don't you like being seen as a sexual figure? And she's like, no. And then, like, why is this being brought up in a trial about intellectual property and who owns a photo? It, what, this would now be called child pornography materials. like Or child sexual abuse materials. Yeah. You know, that's what um, people are pushing to rename it. And I think it's well named because it reframes it as like, yeah, this is abuse. That's all it is. Um, and I mean, whether not that like child pornography has a good reputation in any way, but yeah, it's, it's abuse materials. But the crazy thing is that Charles Gross, the photographer won, uh, it was 1983, a U.S. court ruled that a child is bound by the terms of the valid unrestricted consent to the use of photographs executed by a guardian. Yeah, and that the image didn't breach child pornography laws. And let me just say, like, in the photos, like, they just show her face. She's heavily made up with makeup, hair. It's very, it's like a full, it's full frontal boudoir shoot. Yeah, it's full frontal. It's in a bathtub. It's incredibly shocking. Um, And the judge, I believe, also stated that, like, because her image is as a harlot, that yeah. this can't be proven to be damaging to her reputation in any way if it was yeah. released. Yeah. And so I was trying to figure out, okay, what happened to these photographs after because he won. And so this is when I was like, in my research, I was like, oh my God, am I going to get my laptop seized? Like, but it actually, what happened to these photographs after they didn't talk about it in the documentary, but I went down a whole rabbit hole. Um, okay. So the photograph was quote unquote reproduced by this artist, Richard Prince. It was a photograph of the photograph. That's what the reproduction was. So it was just a photograph. And he called it Spiritual America. This was displayed in the Guggenheim Museum in 2007 without incident. Okay. Then it was said to be displayed in the Tate Modern Museum in London in 2009. And there were articles promoting this exhibit. It was supposed to be amongst all these other pop artworks like Andy Warhol, all these other people. And the police read an article that was advertising this exhibit and were like, what the fuck? And they went and investigated it before it opened and they shut it down. And they said it it violated child pornography laws. So, but the fact that it was in New York in 2007 with no one raising any issues is uh, like beyond words for me. Totally. Like, it's always a slippery issue when it comes to nudes and especially like child nudes, you know, like parents take them in the tub and whatever. And where does it cross the line? And like, but obviously when the subject is begging for it not to be released um, is one example of when it 100% crosses the line and should never have been displayed without her permission. Well, whoa, I don't even think I mean, I know what you're saying, but I think that's just like apples and oranges because like, you know, like, I mean, 
I do like bath time with my nieces and nephews and I have these little like cute photos of them like playing with their little like duckies and stuff like that and family and the reason for that is so not even in the same realm as like this no I know oh I know I know that the sick shot for playboys sugar and spice underage perv magazine is nothing like that but I'm saying like it's just always a slippery slope in art because photographers might have a whole exhibit of black and white photos of babies splashing in the lake nude and then what if the police shut that down is that crossing the line or like it's all about the intent of the photograph which people can debate even though i agree that this photograph is undoubtedly over the line and for sexual reasons yeah it's like artists can you know debate that Well, i remember in university i, I was in this class where they were doing a debate on just what is porn like what makes it porn and they were like is it the intent? And also, if it's something that's not meant to be sexual, but it turns you on, then does it make it porn? Like, you know, or if it's like artistic, but then there's artistic porn. It, it's such a, it was actually yes. the further we got into bringing up more and more points, pro and con, all the different sides, it got more complicated. Yes. Yes. It slips away. And that's why I think that the agency of the subject is so crucial to to what is porn what is yeah. okay what is not and if the person in it is like i 100 stand by this it's fine it's art i want it out there that's one thing but she didn't yeah. and like yeah it's so scary because we've mentioned this before but like um i don't, I don't know the word for like child pornographers like people who are like using this child sexual abuse material they most of the stuff they get is shared willingly from parents and it's yeah. misappropriated for them yeah. for their own there, sick desires yeah, there's been lots of studies and police reports confirming this. They're taking it from families' social media, which yeah, is... And so obviously the intent wasn't there. Yeah. Like, it's it's a really tough subject. Yeah, it really is. I know. Yeah, I have some questions about it, like, in the follow-up to this documentary. But um, so going back to Brooke's life, she is living this life as a teen. And then she decides she goes, she wants to go to university, gets into Princeton, um and immediately becomes extremely lonely because basically she went from everyone crowded around her no one giving her space to everyone giving her space everyone basically leaving her alone and thinking that oh you know don't crowd the celebrity and so she was on her own and she was calling her mom like five times a day um this seemed to be one of the only truly supportive moments we see from her mom where she wants to go home and her mom just says, you need to stay. You're going to regret this for the rest of your life. And it was actually, she said it was it was a professor who called her out and basically said, you're not bringing forth any of your original opinions. And that's what I'm going to push you to do next lesson. And she said it was the start of her not waiting for people to tell her what she should do and think. And it was this domino effect that eventually led to her independence and eventual emancipation from her mother. Yeah. And she she gets into the drama club and she starts working on her comedy and her stage presence. And she graduates with a degree in romance languages. Like, you know, she's an Ivy League queen. Yeah. But I just want to add one quick thing, like right before she decides to go to Princeton. Um, first, Michael Jackson tries to use her as a beard without her permission. Um, not as a, a gay beard, but as a beard for his, as we know, 
his problems and then she if you don't know what we're talking about watch finding neverland if you can stomach it it's horrifying but important and then she does yet another sexual creepy movie where the director kept twisting her toe in a sex scene to try and get her facial expression to look how he wanted it and she wasn't giving him enough mid-sex scene like he's like your face is not realistic so he was like hurting her during the sex scene and like zooming in on her face. And she found it so disturbing that she like says that's the first time she like fully dissociated from her body and like just left. And around this time, she was also having problems with her mom. She put her in rehab, but her mom leaves and doesn't stay sober. And she's like saying she doesn't want to be controlled. And all that is like pushing her to like almost a breaking point. But instead of breaking down, she makes this courageous choice to put her career on hold and go to Princeton and like learn and grow and i just like i found that so inspiring it was very very inspiring and actually on the note of michael jackson i was wondering why they brought it up in the documentary because it was pretty brief and she didn't say that much about him but basically said that their relationship was kind of childish uh she said he always wanted to be seen with me and a lot was being said without being said and i thought okay there's a lot that happened in her life so why Are they bringing this to the forefront? And I did some digging and actually her and Michael Jackson's connection went very deep and really is a much bigger part of her story uh, than they really got into in the documentary. But I watched an interview that she did where she was being asked by Oprah, like in the I think 80s or 90s about her relationship with Michael Jackson. She was like, he's my best friend. He's the love of my life. We talk every day. Um, You know, we have a crush on each other, but nothing's ever happened. That sort of thing. And I also saw this interview that Michael Jackson did in 2001, where he said, she was the love of my life. And I think she loved me as much as I loved her. He said, we dated a lot. We went out a lot. Um, Her pictures were all over my wall. Um, So, yeah, but she said that as soon as he came out and said that they were dating, which she said they never did, that's when she started to distance herself from him. Yeah, like, you know, the creepy feeling you get when a guy tries to, like, act like he's with you or like something you just are like, okay, I'm I'm put off. Um, But before that, yeah, they had many, many years of close friendship. And obviously, nothing sexual or romantic ever happened between them. But like, yeah, I mean, they were the two of the biggest, most famous people. And he loves his, like, beauty icons. Like, he was obsessed with Diana Ross as well. well and it sounded like it was an important shield for, for oh, yeah, him, for what was totally. going on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Uh, and so during this time, uh, she writes a book called On Your Own. And she had a lot of ideas for it. She proposed them. They basically all got shot down and were completely rewritten. And they they were just talking about like leggings and makeup. And there's a brief paragraph about how it was important for her to stay a virgin, which she was at the time, age 20. And we get another montage of every creepy late night interviewer being like, so, huh? You're a virgin, eh? Yeah, I'd be like, I hate to get nasty, but I have to ask you about the virginity thing. And then yeah. they they would just say that and let it hang there. And she'd be like, uh, what about what, it? What about it? Yeah. Like, <laughs> what the fuck does it? And they'd be like, well, we know it's not anyone's business, but you brought it up. You brought it up. And it's like, yeah, she wrote it in her book for teen girls. And you're the one grilling her about it like now. And you look like a fucking creep. Yeah. 
I know, I know. They showed like stand up comedy sets about it. it. Was like a, it was the big thing that everyone latched onto about her book, and poor Brooke. But I mean, she went on later, luckily, to release many successful books on her own terms. But at the time, it was just she had no control of her image, and she was getting ready to leave college and realizing that she hadn't worked in four years and she was losing relevancy and her and her mom were like okay shit you know get a movie done quick and have it lined up with my graduation so they just kind of did a random movie uh it was kind of a cash grab but the movie flopped so she kind of started to spiral a bit she moved on to commercials and then she gets into detail but basically talks about she had her first casting couch experience um, very traumatic for her. I mean, that was the only experience like that that she talked about. I can imagine that that might not have been the only incident. Oh, well, I mean, in the clips that we saw of just interviews, so much of that is we now label as sexual harassment and the jokes and the like creepy like, oh, uh, she's in Princeton. I bet a professor's given her an A plus in anatomy, her anatomy. <laughs> and like, yeah. she's anti-sex Brooke Shields, it sounds like a chastity belt. And like, it's so rude. But then, yeah, she, I thought she was pretty clearly signaling that this was Harvey Weinstein. Really? Yeah, because she says, like, I get a call that I'm in consideration as the lead in a movie and I go to LA to meet for dinner with this producer. And then um, he says, okay, I'll call you a cab. Let's just run up to the room and I'll call from there. And then, she says he goes into the bathroom and comes out in his robe and then flashes her and then rapes her. And that was kind of his move. The robe, the robe from the bathroom to the hotel room rape was like what we heard time and time again. Um, she doesn't name her attacker, but I thought it was him. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. I mean, I can, I can completely believe that of course. Uh, but she talks about that and then moves on to her first happy moment in the documentary uh, when she talked about her relationship with Andre Agassi. They were together from 1993 to 1999. They were married for two years and she was just happy to not be the biggest star for once. Um, she was just basically happy that she was with as big of a name as hers. But because she had been so under the thumb of her mother she kind of went from the shadow of one big personality right to the shadow of his big life and big personality and was just sucked into his world um which went off the rails due to the show friends <laughs> this was a plot I mean, twist i think we can read between the lines that he was probably jealous and controlling many other times but that for some reason was like such a trigger for him yeah, the élément déclencheur was like when she was <laughs> did a role in Friends. Yeah, I say because of Friends. Obviously, I mean like that was just the catalyst. But it was a jump scare to go from that to clips from Friends. You know, I'm not a Friends fan, <laughs> and to be like 
it was when I was playing Joey's girlfriend that everything went downhill. And he's like, hey, like, I don't know. Sorry, I'm probably butchering my Joey. Impression. Yeah, go. You need to step away and work on your Joey. But in the meantime, we can say that I can't she, bear. I can't bear to watch clips of friends. It's the laugh track that gets me every time I can't. Well, it's actually a live studio audience, Emily, but you wouldn't understand that. But anyway, um, she does this role where she has to like suck Joey's like fingers and like be like full on like crazy and sexual towards him and then Andre Agassi was so mad he went home and smashed all his Wimbledon trophies to smithereens <laughs> was yeah. like you embarrassed me what a loser <laughs> what a fucking loser yeah you smash your Wimbledon trophies over Joey I know and she like was she was like he read the script he knew exactly what I was going to do but then like he couldn't handle it like like a little bitch baby. He was a little bitch baby. Yeah. But this has a happy ending because they split up shortly after. And she gets with this new guy, a bit of a no one, or he, he works in film, Chris Henchy, uh, in 2001. And they're still together today. And I know. That's so sweet. And he, he seems lovely. Right. He seems lovely. He seems funny and sweet and supportive and thoughtful and like... She says he's the first Very grounded. Yeah. She said he was the first person who allowed her to be funny and smart and pretty, like be all of her sides and not like pigeonhole her into one thing, which I think is such a beautiful way to describe love. Yeah. And said like nothing about her life was too much for him, which, yeah, you know, nothing about like her alcoholic mother and declining health and her stardom and everything. He was just like, yeah seemed very chill about the whole thing totally really nice really really nice um, yeah yeah before we get into the next part of her life i feel like we never talked about the fact that her childhood best friend was laura linney <laughs> oh <laughs> like, yeah. like when they were seven i thought that was so weird like they just happened to be childhood best friends like living in new york and like hiding from her drunk mom together at like age seven under the bed i'm like weird that you guys I both know. turned out to be hollywood actresses but i know i feel like there's pockets of stars like i'm thinking of like the mickey mouse club i know they cast for child actors but the fact that it produced like on the same cast there was baby britney spears christina aguilera ryan gosling like jessica yeah. simpson you know that's that yeah like everyone that's crazy to me yeah um, that casting director knew what the fuck was up <laughs> like, seriously he's like wow one star after another these kids are talented <laughs> yeah yeah um, so yeah that's cool so then we kind of transition like right from her like happy marriage into her struggle with postpartum depression and it's interesting to me because she describes herself as someone who always wanted a baby even since she was a baby and like just wanted to be a mom and that was like her number one goal and she just loved being maternal and then like she has the baby and instantly it's traumatic experience from like front to back from IVF to the birth where she almost bled to death to yeah. incredibly strong postpartum depression like from day one and I actually remembered learning about postpartum depression from her interview on Oprah same Literally, I had never heard the word before she went on Oprah. And then Tom Cruise brought even more attention to it. But well, yeah, that, but she was really the first, I would say, very big name to bring attention to it. It was pretty taboo at the time. Yes. Um, 
which like side note seeing when they pan to her interview on oprah and it was the time when oprah had her frosted lip it just it brought me so much peace and serenity mm-hmm. i was raised on that version of oprah the little flippy hair yeah yeah with her yellow couch yes yeah but oprah was so good at handling that topic um brooke shields was so open and vulnerable about it and i love it was so humanizing the way that she talked about being pushed into speaking about it she was like why would anyone care about me i'm a big star and oh i'm perfect life but i'm sad and they were like no i think you should talk about it and then she ended up changing so many women's lives by telling her story absolutely like she was the first person to speak out that i had ever heard of that was talking about intrusive thoughts of their baby being harmed of crying all the time of feeling like not maternal not in love with their baby and then and oprah was like so sympathetic to her because she also oprah doesn't have children and like never really you know she talks about not really wanting that and she's like you know like oprah's like rolling her eyes she's like oh you know how everyone's always like it's like nothing you could ever imagine like as soon as i loved how she was like chirping the like smug mom crew because it's so annoying when people are like you could never experience the depth of anything in life until you first lock eyes with your baby. And like, that's the deepest love you'll ever feel. And Brooke was like, yeah, I think a lot of moms lie. I think a yeah. lot of people lied. It's still taboo to this day. Yes. It really is. Um, and women are just so hard on themselves and there's so many different degrees to it. And like, I know people in my life who they had a kid and um, those feelings came a couple days later. It wasn't like this full fledged state, but they just, initially it was like kind of a crickets yeah and like a lot of women that I know that have had children are like I wasn't sure if I'd be maternal and I wasn't at first and it took a while but Brooke being like I was so maternal but then when I had my own kids it just wasn't what I thought and it just I was physically mentally going through something so heavy and and then you know fucking Tom Cruise he came for her talks to matt lauer two men now both viewed as like crazy losers <laughs> well tom yeah. cruise is kind of working now but i don't know well tom cruise is in a cult and matt lauer was canceled for sexual harassment so this is who we're dealing with here but <laughs> yeah they're sitting together he's criticizing her for taking antidepressants for postpartum depression and i've seen this interview so many times throughout my life but it's still always so shocking <laughs> he's like do you know about psychiatry matt <laughs> like <laughs> You know, he just let he let the mask slip a little too much on that day. <laughs> yeah, you don't know about medication, okay? You don't know about the history. He's like, Brooke doesn't know what she is saying. There is no such thing as a chemical imbalance. Vitamins and exercise can fix everything. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that was another thing that Oprah was making fun of him for. She was like, oh, so do you think if you just took a few more vitamins, you would have felt better? <laughs> like, I was like, yes, Oprah. Like, I, I was like cheering in my seat because I was tearing up for a few parts of this documentary, especially when she was talking about her postpartum depression. It was so raw. But yeah, then <laughs> to pan back to Tom Cruise being like, I know about psychiatry. OK, I know about it. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, totally. Yeah. So then. Brooke takes the classy route and writes a scientific evidence-based op-ed in the New York Times about what Tom Cruise doesn't know about estrogen and serotonin and like childbirth and like yeah she's like bitch I went to Princeton okay 
listen, motherfucker, like, I'm yeah. going to write the most scathing, classy op-ed the New York Times has ever seen. Yeah, like it's described as like very sober, very even handed. And eventually he apologizes. So like, that's a win. That's a fatality. <laughs> yeah, not pictured in the documentary, but he apologized to her. And later that year, she attended his wedding with Katie Holmes. Oh, Okay, full circle. <laughs> yeah, random fact. Yeah, I know, kind of full circle. Uh, yeah, she like basically she was involved in all kinds of legislation about protecting women and putting more research into this topic and everything. So yeah, it was very very cool. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to like the coolest scenes, just the best way that they could have wrapped up this documentary. They filmed this dinnertime conversation with her and her family her husband and her two daughters and uh, they're having an honest debate about what has changed and what it's like for them and what it means for them to then post photos of themselves on social media Mm -hmm. yeah because they talk about her her nudity underage at like 11 and they're like you weren't old enough to consent to that and so now that wouldn't be aired And then Brooke is like, well, how is that different than you posting yourself as a 16-year-old in a bikini on TikTok? And they're like, well, that's our choice. And she's like, I understand that. But then her and Drew like both kind of talk about like what they don't get is the image takes on a life of its own. The video goes beyond your control and can affect you in ways you can't even imagine. Like, Yeah. I mean, she says like one of her daughters, Greer, wants to be a model. And at first she's immediately wants to shut it down but then it's like if i shut this down then that's all she's gonna want to do and so i'm gonna have to support it and try to find a way to put context to it but i love her gen z kids like one of them's like i would never watch blue lagoon but i've seen pretty baby on tiktok (laughs) yeah yeah and i thought it was nice how the husband was just really listening hard and and like they're like do you have anything to say and he's like i'm just learning i'm just listening like he just he seems like a feminist and i appreciate that I know. I have only good things to say about that man. Um, I really, I just like the whole family's vibe. Again, totally. like in my mind and my friendship with Brooke, like I'd also come over for dinner with the family sometimes. Uh, yeah, of course, th- that her children would be a part of that friendship too. Um, and her husband. But um, yeah, so Brooke says that she never had agency in her life, in her career as a child. And it's nice to see her daughters have that at a young age and like, support them through that and she says like she's learned a lot from her daughters and it's beautiful so beautiful yeah and you know they talk about the death of her parents and her grappling with that um and like how she never kind of felt like her own person until after her mom had passed yeah well she said also that she would not be whole after her mom passed away and she also said there was truth to that like she she was like honoring her in a really interesting way while also she wasn't completely shying away from her flaws but she was pointing them out in just the most respectful possible way for what seemed like in my view the monster that she was Oof, that's tough yeah no she was like my mom was broken she had been through a lot in her life she was in active addiction and that led to a lot of the abandonment that i felt or the bad decisions that i felt she made like she just was impacted by so much in her life that she could never be the mother I wanted her to be, but she was still like my best friend for most of my life. Yeah. Yeah. She acknowledges all of those sides, which is another real gift of hers. Just being so 
open and articulate about a lot of things that I think most people would be afraid to ever talk about in public with another person. Yeah. And I think like Drew Barrymore says something really great about Brooke's perspective, like that she just has this amazing bird's eye perspective on child stardom and just being focused on moving forward in life and using those lessons and taking ownership of your identity now and just putting your energy there instead of like into the wounds of the past. Like she just is able to just sort of, and this isn't possible for everyone, but she is just able to sort of witness that and not let herself be like drowned by it the stuff that happened to her yeah I know I know she seems very level-headed she's very similar to Drew Barrymore in that way that they both seem I hate to say like normal but you know what I mean they just seem very normal which I'm like the fact that you could be alive coherent that's impressive but that you also just seem to have really benefited from all the therapy and now you just seem yeah. fun and like a little gift to the world. Amazing. Yeah, they're, they're down to earth and they both see themselves as like one of the people, like just like everybody else. I know. I think this was on um this was on the Drew Barrymore show, but she was like, our story is everyone's story. Like it's the same for every single person <laughs> I in know. high school wanting to be like I was like Erica, I see what you're saying but like it's not yeah like yes there are certain human themes that carry through but at the same yeah. time it's it's not that relatable <laughs> no it's just like, you know when everyone everyone wants a piece of you and you're in clubs and everyone you know is lifting yeah. and you're a child model but you can't really handle the way that people see you because you're like you're so young to be portrayed as a sex object it's like well you know actually that is kind of the story of like every young girl like we are sexualized before we're ready to handle it and that is scary and that's Um, what this whole podcast is pretty much about is about dealing with that and the effects from that yeah yeah i just can't imagine dealing with it on the scale that they did yeah yeah and surviving yes I know. God, I barely survived my like <laughs> tiny, tiny little problems compared to theirs. But I know, I know. And I just, um, yeah, I just think they're both so warm and personable. I mentioned this on the Drew Barrymore episode that we recorded, but uh, Troy McKeady was posting recently about being in attendance at the Drew Barrymore show and how she just after they cut filming, she just sat cross-legged on the floor and just talked to everyone for over an hour. I'm like, they're really like that cameras or not you can just you can tell yeah warm and approachable i love that for them yeah we love them um well that was great great place to end it yeah um you guys can access this actually i don't know where you can access it depends on the country you're in we have a weird system oh the right we watched on disney plus but i believe it's on hulu okay yeah just Google the documentary and then your country. <laughs> Google it. No, it's Emily. really hard. Sorry. Okay. Should I cut that out? Because uh, <laughs> you guys are so resourceful and smart. Okay. Love you guys. Love you. See you next time. Bye. Bye. This podcast is produced by me, Emily Rose, hosted by the Sonar Network and edited by Solomon Krauss and Laugh. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave me a five-star review. See you next week. Au revoir, mes amours.
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.